is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I sit down with Christiani Pitts, and we talk about her career. We talk about her life growing up, all the moving she did as a young child, and what brought her to a Bronx tale and is bringing her to King Kong. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did, and keep on keeping on. We are back, and today with me is Christiani Pitts. Yay! Christiani, thank you for sitting down with me on this two-show day. I am so excited. I mean, geez. Do you feel a difference um, energy-wise from doing a two-show day over a one-show day with your track? Um, Yes, <laughs> I do. Well, yeah, I do. okay. okay. Um, but, oh, but not much. Not as much as I think one would think. Yeah. But um, it's only because we have a break between shows. Mm. And the break sometimes can get tiresome just because you're just kind of sitting there yeah. and you get a little too relaxed uh -huh. and then you have to get your energy back up for the second one. So that's yeah. like the only little, I always wonder that. Cause again, so for people listening, mm -hmm. we're going to talk about a Bronx tale. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. Nice. Uh, you're in it with my friend, Alex Grayson. Yes. Who's, the, who's the bomb. Yes, he is. And he was talking to me about it. It's tricky with that in between shows, mm -hmm. you know, it's not enough time to go home. Right. Unless you live in Nail's kitchen. Right. Um, but it's like more than oh. enough time to completely become drowsy. 100%. So and then on, on Wednesdays, you know, the, the break is uh, from 4 o'clock to 6.30. Um, but on Saturdays, it's from 4 o'clock to 7.30. So that extra hour just really can be awesome like, if you have things to do. Or yeah. if you fall asleep, you're like, oh, gosh, I can't wake up. <laughs> oh, there it goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's jump in. Um, yes. I'm curious, what was the first show you ever did? The first show I ever did was um, the Nativity Story um, at my church yes. years ago. Yeah. And I was cow number two. Cow number two. Cow number two. <laughs> Come on, cow number two. With a fierce tail and fierce spots. <laughs> and I had um, the best time of my life. Yeah. Um, and that honestly, as, as kind of silly as it sounds, was the the joy I got from being that cow yeah. and, and just having so much fun with the costumes l was truly what kind of motivated me to, to try to do this more and more and more. Yeah. Um, and so then I went on to do, uh, you know, legitimate shows. And, and Once in this Island was uh, the first kind of show with a, a legitimate script and score um, that I got to be a part of. Yeah. And I was little, t I've done it twice. And the first time I did it, I was baby T-Moon. Yeah. And the second time I did it, um, I got to be big T-Moon. Yes, you did. <laughs> um, was that, okay, so the nativity story, mm -hmm. was that like right there for you? You were like, this is what I want to do? Oh, this is it. Oh, that yeah. was the moment. That was the moment. That's incredible. That was the moment. And and I think because it was in church um, and, you know, we were in probably kindergarten and mm. no one... I remember taking it so serious <laughs> and people being like, girl, relax. You're a cow. You know what I mean? Like relax. Like it's not about you. But I was like, I want to make sure people knew their lines and like, like I took it so serious. And yes. then I, that's kind of why I knew like, oh, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Like this is, it, this is, yes, it's fun for me, but I also find this to be incredibly serious and incredibly, you know, demanding <laughs> yes no yes and i when i saw you and we were talking about this beforehand mm -hmm. before we started recording mm -hmm. i was marveling at the aliveness of your scenes thank you and how present you were thank you because i know how much how many shows you've done mm -hmm. and will continue to do until you leave the show mm -hmm. and it's a lot 
Yeah. You know, Thursday, yeah. the 15th Thursday <laughs> of this show is like, oh my God. Right. So to stay present and have that mind and that work ethic, which is yes. what I want to talk about. I'm curious mm -hmm. what your parents taught you about work ethic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Man, um, my parents are two really special and incredible individuals and they both have um, pretty difficult pasts uh, and they never stopped living and they never stopped working and, and doing what they had to do to support my, myself and my sisters. Mm. Um, so I truly feel like I have no choice but to be great for them. Mm. Um, and uh, when it comes to, to kind of being alive, I think being alive on stage and the work ethic, I think, kind of go hand in hand um, because I, I feel like it is my job to make sure that the audience feels like they are seeing this for the first time. Yes. And so if I don't do my very best to get out there and, and be completely alive and open and, and listening to things as mm. if I've heard them for the first time, yes. I think I'm doing the audience a disservice. And, um, and I think that means that you're not working to your fullest potential. Yeah. So I find it really fun to get out there and figure out how to hear things differently or um, you know, how, what would my mental state be today versus yesterday? And, yeah. um, and, and it helps yeah. become alive. Yeah, I heard uh, a while back when I was doing, I was asking like a mentor about being tired and mm. doing this many shows. Mm -hmm. And he had said to me, tonight is someone's first night ever seeing a live show. Mm -hmm. And tonight is also someone's very last time Absolutely. seeing a show. And I was oh. like, oh, wow. shit. <laughs> wow. How, how powerful is how that? How do you not, yeah, how do you not, how do you not give everything? <sighs> but now, okay, so with the parents mm -hmm. growing up, you had to balance schoolwork yes. and performing. Yes. What was their regiment? Well, I, I have yours. a funny story about my mother. So for when I started acting professionally, I was um, eight years old and my mother was my manager mm. and she was really good about being on top of everything, make sure I got my school work done and my, you know, work, work outside of school done. And she was great at it. Uh, around my junior year of high school, mm. I was uh, in school, taking my, all my regular classes. I was uh, the captain of my dance team, which, which I, the North Atlanta Silver Stars, if you're listening, shout out to you, <laughs> um, which I took, again, very serious. Yeah. Um, and I was filming the movie Big Mama's House 3. Yeah. So I was busy, but I, I, had the, I was having the time of my life. Like mm. I, did, I had no regrets. One day I was called to be to set uh, at seven o'clock in the morning. Okay. Set was kind of far, so I had to be up around 5.30, 6 o'clock to get there on time. Well, my mother said that she thought I was so tired and that I needed a break. So she just didn't wake me up. She just let me sleep. She said, she said, I'm, you know, I can see the tiredness in you. I'm going to let you sleep. So she did not wake me up. So oh, my like body clock went like woke up at like 8.30, 9 o'clock. Yeah. And I was freaking out and I was screaming and I like, I was like, oh my God, I'm so late. I'm going to get in so much trouble. And I got to set and it was fine. You know, everything was fine. But yeah. I remember sitting down and having the conversation with my mom after that, like, mom, I love you. This has been great, but you can no longer be my manager. <laughs> you can no longer, just because she, for the first time in the years that she was working with me, yeah. um, she let the mother, you know, the mother part of her kick in mm. and she started standing up for me as a mom and not a manager. And, uh, but I think that just speaks to how caring she is and how much she yeah. looks out for me, but it didn't work out as far as being my manager. <laughs> so that was the last time we worked together like that. How old were you? I was, uh, 16 or and 17. How did you know to have the 
like presence of mind to be like, okay, I need to separate this. Oh, because I remember feeling mortified on the way from my house to set. Hmm. Just because again, since I was a little girl, I've taken this so serious. Hmm. And I like, I I was just mortified that people were gonna, because I was also the youngest person um, in the in the group of actors that I was working with, mm. so I was worried that they were going to think, you know, I was too young and I was unprofessional, and I mm-hmm. I didn't want that. Yeah. And I knew that I loved my mom, but I was like, mm you're not going to catch me, okay, mom? <laughs> this is not going to work. Yeah. So okay, I okay. knew it was time. But what was the um, what did they teach you about kindness? Oof. Well, in that same token, um, my mother um, is. Uh, she's been through, she's been through a lot, both of them. Let's see my mother and my father, uh, my father, you know, uh, was raised by a single mom in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, struggle was real. My mother was raised, um, by her mother and father and her father passed away when she was 15 years old. Uh, the struggle was real. Mm-hmm. Both of these people have grown up with nothing yet. They've always had the most open hearts and treated everyone with love and compassion, uh, and it and it's it's served them their whole life. They've become better people for it. Um, so growing up, they they tried their hardest to provide my sister and I with with you know more than they had growing up. Mm. Um, but when things didn't work out that work out that way, excuse me, and we didn't have everything we needed, kindness and love was still one thing that they made sure was always there, mm. always, no matter what. If you don't have money, you have love. If you don't have friends, you have love. If you don't have the nice clothes, you have love. Like that was just, it, it was just abundant growing yeah. up for my sisters and I. And, and, and so here I am now as a, you know, working professional, yeah. um, you know, making more money than I've ever made in my entire life. Yes. Surrounded by some uh, incredible people. Yeah. And I can honestly say that whether I had this or not, I would still have so much love in my heart because I yeah. know what it feels like to have absolutely nothing and, and still love people and still be kind. And and it, it, it brings me so much joy because yeah. I know now that no matter where I am in my life or my career, um, I will know how to treat people with the ultimate respect and, and love people as if they're my family. That's so beautiful. Oh, my goodness. They're the best. You're bringing up a really great point. And this, I experienced, I don't want to say something similar. Mm -hmm. I experienced when I first moved to the city, Mm -hmm. having less than Hmm. what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. Almost like a reverse, you know, kind of weird, Hmm. in a weird way. And it was so mind opening Hmm. to see the world differently and see love and compassion and how Hmm. little one truly needs Mm -hmm. to be happy. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's fascinating. It's really fascinating because then once you have all of the material things, it's no, that's not your source of joy. Exactly. And, and I think it's, you, you know, we hear and see this all the time about people with all the money and resources in the world who are incredibly unhappy. And that makes me so sad because that means that they were, they were missing something quite some time ago. Yes. You know what I mean? And they, and they never got it. and, And it, it makes me so sad because it's I know that I'm happy with with life because of the things that my parents have taught me about kindness yeah. and respect. And I really wish that everyone got that because mm. it, it, it shapes who you are as a person and it shapes how you treat people. Yeah. I, wa- I read the news occasionally before bed. Mm, but I know this is a funny thing. I stopped reading it because it's all designed for misery and oh, fear. Absolutely. And all of that. And I've now read it because it start. I started reading it again because mm-hmm. it fuels my fire hmm. to do this podcast mm. and to Come share on, these messages. Yes, because no, because like there are so many people who grow up without realizing 
you know, what you've realized in your youth, mm -hmm. you know, what your parents taught you. Right. And I just think it's so interesting. And I talked to my best friend, Nikia, about this. I'm like, how do you, how do you spread happiness? Hmm. And I said that after I read a message, someone like, there was a murder involved and I was like, Jesus, how do you spread happiness? And hmm. she's like, some people don't want to see that. Some people are not looking for that. Right. And it's how to, how to just at least enlighten people to the fact that there, it is there. Yes. Happiness without, within yourself is mm -hmm. there even if you don't have anything. Mm -hmm. If you just look for it. Mm -hmm. It's what you focus on. It's what you find. <laughs> yes. My my good friend Janelle McDermott, she's uh, in the show. She plays Frida. Me and her were celebrating her birthday this past weekend. And we went mm. out to dinner. And uh, I was talking to her about some, some issues I've been having. And uh, she told me. Uh, some issues I've been having with someone. Okay. Uh, and she told me you have to love them through it. And I was like, Interesting. oof, oof. Mm. Uh, and I think that th that is something I want to keep with me for the rest of my time on this planet is love someone through it because we have no idea what people are going through at any given moment. Yeah. And sometimes we can present someone with happiness and with kindness and it's not reciprocated and we can be very confused and hurt by it. Yeah. But I think if we just internalize that and say, I'm just going to love you through it, mm -hmm. not only does it make us feel better, but that person will be affected by that at some point in time. Maybe not in the moment when you did yeah. it, but later on they will sit back and they will realize that, that the way they were treating you and the evil that they were spitting out at you, you backed it up with love. You responded with love and, and they're going to be better for it. Mm -hmm. So I love that. I, I, I love it, that. It, it changed the game. I love them through it. I said that I can do because yeah. that doesn't take anything for us to do to love someone. That doesn't take much. It no. doesn't. Especially when your cup runneth over. Come on. Of energy and love. No, seriously. <laughs> yes, I mean, that's, what, that's where you're operating from. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm like, I wonder what techniques can you do to spread that for people who are looking for it mm. to show them how their cup can runneth over yes. and they can be so kind to someone who like, yells at them about not having bacon on a sandwich when it's never about the right. bacon. Right, It's exactly. about something that happened when they were a kid. Exactly. And they've hung on to it for decades. And I you mean, are just sitting there getting it all. Yeah, but how do you, you love them through it. You love them through it, you love them through it, and you don't take things personal. Mm. And that is something mm. that I think is, you can apply as an, as an actor. It's funny. Um, I think as an actor on stage, in order to get a kind of lively performance, yeah. it's important to take everything personal every little thing you take personal you let it hit you and you feel it uh, my acting coach is, is hard on me about that uh, um she thinks that i don't take things personally all the time on stage i just say oh he didn't they didn't mean that or, or that's not what she meant no no that's exactly what she meant and if you let it affect you and you feel it yeah. you can get a more lively performance now on the outside <laughs> world I, my tactic on, on dealing with people is to not take everything personal. Um, and I would, I would suggest that I would recommend that to people in their everyday lives is to not take anything personal um, and, and, and know that people are going through their own things and it has nothing to do with you. But if you're an actor, it is a fun acting technique to then reverse it and be on stage or be on film mm. and take it all personal. It, it feels different. Um, and it's yeah, really, it's yeah. rejuvenating. It's like it is. cleansing it in really a way. It really is. Like and then you get like out and you and you and you let it go when you're out in the streets. You let it go. You don't think about it. But then when you're in a space where you're like either again on camera or on stage and you yeah. get to practice taking something personally, it it feels good. It's a it's, lot, but yeah. it can feel good. It's like indulging in that. For yeah. A minute. And I notice some of the best actors and actresses in this world have an incredible grasp on their emotions. Oof. Yes. The mm. best mm -hmm. grasp. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because you cannot be Lucy Goosey Cannon mm -mm. with, you know, when you're going through, you know, 
deaths on stage right. eight times a week. I mean, right. that's like intense. It's a lot, yeah. Question for you. Mm-hmm. What did you want to be when you grew up? What did I want to yeah, be when I grew up? as a child. What did you want to be growing up? Well, d- always an actress. Okay. 100%. Okay. Um, and then there was a phase where I really wanted to be a marine biologist. Okay. I was, like, obs- I was obsessed with everything, sea involved, everything. And then I was watching the Animal Planet, and I saw a marine biologist have to save a shark. And she almost got bit doing it. And I said, nope, no more, no Mm. more. Because when I thought marine biologists, I thought dolphins and penguins and seals. Starfish. (laughs) Starfish. You know what I mean? I didn't think sharks and alligators. And I said, so no, thank you. Um, But there was a phase where I wanted to be that. And then I wanted to be a soccer player. Um, But through all of that, all of those different I'd like to be's being an actress and a performer was at the root of it all. Yeah. The whole time. How do you stay fulfilled considering you've now done films, television, mm. Broadway? Have, did you set a goal as a child? Have you reached the goal? Do you no, have a new no, goal? No, no. My goal in life, if you will, is to become an EGOT. Yes. You know? Okay. Um, and, and it's such an insane, it's such, I mean, there's 13 EGOTs in the world. Yeah. Um, so it's a really, it's a goal that I may never achieve, mm. but I set it for myself because I will always be reaching for something and I'll always mm. be doing work that is, uh, you know, possibly cool enough or creative enough to even be considered to win something like yeah. an Oscar or a Tony or a, and so I, I may never achieve it, but I, but I love that I've set a goal like that because it is going to constantly keep me you know, working and, and excited for something that could be. I'm curious if you'll indulge me for mm-hmm. a second. What would you do once you got it? Oh my if we could like just play that game for a second. I would call um, my queen EGOT Whoopi Goldberg if she'd okay. pick up the phone. <laughs> yeah. And I would just say, Whoopi, what did you do? what did you do yeah. what did you do next yeah um because you know Whoopi is an egot and yeah. and she st- hasn't stopped working period no um <laughs> and she seems to be uh incredibly vocal about her her politics and her beliefs and yeah. and is still out there spreading knowledge and and working and and she seems very happy yeah. so i would call her and yeah. say what's the key sis what, yeah. what's next what's next what's next no it's always that's always an interesting question to me because i wonder you know if someone wants to be an astronaut and they go all the way to the moon right some of them get depressed oh, because absolutely. it's like, what's next? what's next? What is, what is there left to uh, mm-hmm. achieve? Right. But having that fulfillment, it's like, so how do you balance achieve and fulfillment? Achievement and Ooh. fulfillment. Hmm. That's interesting. I think that it's very healthy to set goals. Yeah. Um, but I think that you have to, again, this, I think this kind of goes back to what we were talking uh, about before, about being happy, being happy and, um, and, and paying close attention to kindness. I think you have to make sure that whether you achieve your goals or not, you are happy. Mm. And I think that that means that you have to be fulfilled with where you are now. Yes. And I, I say that because if not, if you are just, you know, out there. Shooting goals yeah, but not being fulfilled. Then, then I think that you'll never be it? incredibly happy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I, I think do. that if you are happy where you are now. Yes. There's nothing wrong with still reaching and still climbing for your goals, but that way when you get them, you will you won't all of a sudden be disappointed and upset with yourself. You'll be content. Yeah. You'll be happy and then you'll set new goals. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, I and keep climbing for something new. I do. Um I love that. Because it's also, you know, thinking about my goal in particular, you know, being an egot doesn't mean that I would have enough money to buy my mother a house. It doesn't. Mm. Um so maybe if I was to achieve that 
somehow. Okay, sure. My next goal, when. It, you know, when, when. come on, <laughs> my next goal would be to buy my mom the house of her dreams or, mm. you know, to send my nieces and nephews off to college for free. Uh, there are always things. Um, but I think that as long as you are happy inside with where you are now, I mm. think that you will uh, constantly be fulfilled and you will never be um, kind of stagnant once you uh, achieve your goals. You'll yeah. never feel like you don't know where else to go. Yeah. You'll be happy to look forward to something new. Yes. Great answer. Thank great you. Answer. That was a great question. Did you, thanks, did, <laughs> did you and do you have mentors? Yes. Yes. Um, I had some of the most incredible mentors that one could be blessed with. Mm. Um, one of my mentors, her name, was, her name was, excuse me, Linda Stevenson. Okay. And she was my acting teacher, my drama teacher um, in high school in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. From my freshman year to my senior year. And... She was, uh, like me, she took what she did incredibly serious. Mm. And it was refreshing for me to um, come to high school in Atlanta, and I had just moved, so I knew no one. Mm. Um, it was refreshing for me to get into this program that was led by someone who played no games, who was treating our high school drama club like we were you know, the, the newest cast of the new Tony award-winning musical or the new Oscar award-winning film. Uh, you know, she treated us like we were professional working actors. And, yeah. and it was so refreshing for me yeah. because you had certain students who could care less. And she, she never let that deter her from being someone who could change someone's life. Wow. Um, and I think that she recognized uh, how serious I took it. I think she saw that in me. And... Um, paid a little close attention to me and, and helped me and became more than just a teacher and more so like a, a second mom and, and a mentor. And when I was looking to get into colleges, she helped me get my monologues together and helped me go over mm -hmm. my material. Um, and she was one of the first uh, people I let know that I got into Florida State University uh, for a music theater program. And she could not have been happier for me. Mm. Um, in the what year? It, I was going into college. I believe it was my uh, sophomore to, or excuse me, my freshman to sophomore year of college that summer. Mm. Um, she uh, passed away from from cancer, and uh, it was one of the most difficult things I think I've ever had to process. Mm. Um, just because I I could call this woman to talk about anything I've ever needed, mm. and she never made me feel crazy for taking what I do so incredibly serious and working so hard. She, she just made me feel like that was normal and that was what was expected of me. Mm -hmm. um, but I can say that I don't think that I would be where I am right now without her watching over me. I can genuinely feel her mentorship from heaven. I can feel it. Mm. I can feel it. Um, my other mentor was Antonio Sisk, who also um, passed away uh, after I graduated college. He was my dance teacher at, at North Atlanta High School. Again, incredibly serious. He, he, mm. t he, he, he made you feel like you were on your way to Alvin Ailey every time you stepped out of his class. He just, he just yes. was, he was magnificent. Um, you know, and, and same thing, I can, I can feel their, their love and their work ethic like wrapped around me when I do certain shows and when I, um, you know, make certain mistakes. I can hear them saying like, now girl, you know good and well. I taught you better than that. And, <laughs> it, and it, it, it gets me back on my A game. Yeah. Was there a mantra that he had? Um, anything see. like did he repeat anything in class or Oof. did you 
Oh, goodness. I'm sure they did. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot. I mean, I just did put you on the spot. No, <laughs> if it it's doesn't okay. come to mind, that's okay. Yeah, no, I, I can't. I mean, they were full of so much knowledge. They were full of so much. Yeah. I mean, just the bomb. I love, I absolutely love that. Oh, I, yeah. I want to know what does, speaking of dance, mm-hmm. what does dancing do for you? Mm. Dancing, I feel like this is going to sound cliche, but dancing like frees me up. As I'm talking to you right now, you can see my hands are like yeah. flying all over the place. Um, I'm such a, I'm very tall and I used to be very self-conscious about my height and how lanky I was. I felt very out of place all the time. And when I found dance as a little girl, I, I, I felt like I fit in somewhere mm. um, where, you know, whereas boys used to pick on me for being so tall and lanky in my dance class, they liked that I had long legs and I could get across the floor quicker and, mm. and I felt appreciated. Um, so I've always felt sort of comfortable um, when I was dancing. I felt like I was like my best physical self. Yeah. Um, and as an actor, it's made me become a very kind of physical, um, I interpret things in a physical way yeah. versus very like a mental or very kind of heady um, actor. I find it to be all in my body. Um, and it and I enjoy it because it's very relaxing and freeing and um, you know it's just kind of shaped who I am and took me from being this kind of really uncoordinated lanky crazy looking girl to someone who has become graceful and Mm. and I I'm so very clumsy but you know um, (laughs) you know graceful and in yeah. In more control of, of my body. Is that your spiritual practice or one of your spiritual practices? Oh, um, you know, it used to be. I can't say that now it is because um, it is legitimately my profession. Um, I, I don't find it as freeing anymore just because I, I'm constantly making sure that it's correct mm. and making sure that it's up to par. Um, it definitely used to be. Oh my goodness. When I was in high school and college, it was 100% used to be. Um, I think now my most spiritual practice is prayer at church and music. Mm. Um, I've always been a singer songwriter for as long as I can remember. Oh yeah. Uh, and because now I'm not being paid for it. Yeah. It's so freeing. It's therapy to write music. It's therapeutic. Um, once that, once I start getting paid for that again, I'm sure I'll go. Do <laughs> we'll it. find a new one. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'll go back to dance. But um, yeah. With the, um, I read this thing about you that you don't just entertain, but you love. You don't just love to entertain. You love to inspire mm. through the arts. Yes. Where does that come from? Um, I think it comes from my my appreciation for being someone who is considered other, and. I think that I, I think that, you know, uh, being a black woman in certain situations, you are made to feel different or you're made to feel like an outcast. And, you know, I, I know what that feels like. And I, I loved learning that I was beautiful and I loved learning that I, I wasn't other. I was exactly who I was supposed to be. I loved that. Yeah, yeah. And I remember that it was hard getting there. Um, and so I like inspiring people uh, through my art because I know that there are people out there who feel like they just don't belong and they feel like they're never going to be good enough and I know that they are because we are all perfectly made in the the eyes of God every single one of us so I like finding what I can within myself to let others know that they're perfect and that they are 100% supposed to be where they are and that they are destined to do great things 
and if I can inspire someone to know that, that then that I feel like my job is done. That's beautiful. Yes. And now speaking specifically on a Bronx tale, mm-hmm. the story in it. Mm-hmm. I it's shameful to say I hadn't seen the movie. I no. saw parts of the movie. I hadn't seen it either before I booked the show. Let, let me once, tell you. Yeah, right. And then once I found out Alex was going to do it and I was like, let me see this movie, let me go see the show. Mm-hmm. I was the message in it is yeah. incredible. Yeah. And that Chaz wrote that. Yeah. And that that was written like a decade, two decades mm-hmm. ago. I mean, the movie is older. Oh yeah. And that those stories are still being told. I just think it's so beautiful. Oh, it's absolutely. So important. Absolutely. And run and buy your tickets for a Bronx Tale now. That's oh, you guys got to go do it. It's awesome. It's great. It's awesome. And we've been blessed to be there for almost two years. Yes. Which is a blessing. Um, yes. You guys got to come check it out. It's, yeah. It's that, that uh, it's funny. It all goes back full circle. When we first started talking, yeah. we were talking about what it's like to choose kindness and to, and to w- greet people with love. Yeah. Um, and one of the main themes in our show is choosing love over fear. And I think that is... I, I, I continue to see that come up in my life outside of the show. Um, I think people are so afraid of people who don't look like them or sound like them or come from the same economic backgrounds as them or come from the same country. They're just scared because mm-hmm. they don't know anything. And if you just treat them with love and an open heart, I mean, it'll it'll like literally change the world. And in the Bronx tale, when he chose love over fear, it just changed his current situation he survived instead of uh choosing fear which would have ended his life yeah um but but that message can apply to so many different things in our world Mm. it's i love doing that show eight times a week absolutely absolutely you've been listening to entertainment x the podcast you can follow entertainment x on instagram at underscore entertainment x underscore if you haven't yet go to apple podcasts and subscribe rate and review this podcast Join Clay next week for another Curiosity Conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.